You are entering a space of thoughts and jokes, of echoes and analysis, a stopover from sense, a sojourn from sincerity, the cross-section between entertainment and bewilderment, a limitless void of laughter and curses from which few escape. You've just crossed the border into the spooky spot. People like roast him in the comments. Really? You're like, oh, he that's a that's a fake laugh, and I'm like, just let him do his job. Hey, <laughs> let him do his job. B, when you there's literally like a brain thing. Yeah. Where when you hear somebody laugh, it you're more inclined to also laugh. He's like doing that out of kindness to get you to laugh. Yeah. Like, and yeah, obviously he's not gonna find everything genuinely funny. Yeah. But it's his job. It's literally his job oh, yeah. to fucking laugh. There's so many strong opinions against Jimmy Fallon, and I'm like, leave him alone. He's, He's done, a good boy. He's done nothing wrong. I know, yeah. Not that I know of. Tomorrow's headlines. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Fallon declared problematic. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> no! <laughs> How could we see this happening? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, there's so many strong opinions about it. I just feel bad. I'm like, I'm just gonna keep watching your funny games. Yeah, it's not bad. I enjoy the game aspect of his show. That's fun. Some of them are pretty good, yeah. That's something not everybody's fucking doing. Like Pupperty? Yes. People are trying. Okay. Like, James Corden is definitely trying. James Corden's trying so fucking hard. Can I tell you how much I actually don't like James Corden? Yeah. A, because he's trying to follow up Craig Ferguson, who is chef kiss, best late night douchebag. Yeah. But, like, he's just, he's trying so hard. Yeah. Too hard. So, too hard. And CBS actually gave him attention. A lot. Like, they give him a lot of attention. Have you seen his set compared to Craig's? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> They're giving him attention because he's willing to do what they want. Yeah. Is the thing, and you can tell. Which is that... do dumb games like Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's yeah. really awkward. I, I, tr- I watched, like, two, He and he's awkward while doing it. I respect James Corden and as much as I respect any other li- living creature, but <laughs> he just has no fucking charisma. No. He's got the charisma of, like, a plastic bag. He tries to always make, like, oh, you're making fun of British people jokes? And it's like, James, they're not funny. No. <laughs> Nobody cares, James. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I tried to watch some games, because I was like, oh, okay. Because it was, guess, if the celebrity will flinch or not. And I was like, how are you going to do this? It was dumb. And it was awkward. <laughs> and most celebrities, guess what, are good at that. Yeah. <laughs> most of them won't flinch. <laughs> Matt Bomer... <laughs> like a boss. <laughs> Chef Kiss. He's, brick wall. He's got like three kids. He's got this. <laughs> You're not surprising him. No. <laughs> Is that how we start the show? Chef Kiss Matt Bomer? Chef Kiss Matt Bomer. So I'll do that every time. <laughs> Trashing some late night talk shows over other ones. Yeah. Listen. I got a lot of opinions, okay? I only have opinions on the fact that nobody else is Craig Ferguson. That's true. That's my one opinion, but I feel it very hard. Like, I I respect Stephen Colbert. I also think he's trying very hard. Yeah. But not in, like, a James Corden way. Oh, no. But it's just because he seems super, like, nervous. Well, he also... <laughs> he stepped into the Letterman slot. Yeah. So that's... That was already big. That is big shoes to fill. B, he's not doing the Colbert personality anymore, yeah. which is what a lot of people knew. Yeah. So he's still fighting against that. Yeah. 
I don't think there's a C, but I definitely put C, a third finger out. Some interviews, he's still nervous because he doesn't know how to do the Jimmy Fallon interact with you kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he like Jimmy will like go for the jokes every time, and Stevens like he just he's like, oh really? And I'm like, don't let it fall flat. <laughs> yeah. So he's no. trying. I'm rooting for him. Uh, yeah. Um, but he's trying. He's been doing... All right. Doing okay, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. I watched some of his stuff. Have you seen... Um, God, like, Comedy Central is trying to, like, recapture that, like, fake Republican, like, vibe. There's a show that's, like, no. The Opposition or something, and he he's, like, totally just doing rip-off Colbert. Really? Like, rip-off and salty Colbert. And I can't I'm, like, remember last time I watched Comedy Central. I... I forget what I was watching. It might have been Futurama or something. I don't know. Probably. You know, one of the three shows that they show. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, yeah, it was just constant promos for that. And I was like, this is atrocious. Because hmm. <laughs> that's just some stupid, plain-ass white man. That's not <laughs> Stephen Colbert. Yeah. Colbert made a charming... <laughs> charming white man. <laughs> a charming fake Republican man. <laughs> who people thought were real. Yeah. So yeah, I'm rooting for him at late night, but he's still having some hashtag struggles mm. in my, you know, late night opinion, because I love watching that garbage. <laughs> late night madness. Yeah. Got a bracket for that. Yeah, there's Jimmy Kimmel, too. I won't talk about him. The other Jimmy. The other Jimmy. He does all right. He's already had a bunch of talk shows, though, so I don't really have an opinion on him. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Everyone else is new to this. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like him and Conan are like the... Oh, yeah, Conan. He, well, since Conan's not, like, on the basic cable ones... Yeah, and he's on TBS. He's snuck up on TBS, so... I think... They stuck him up there. They got rid of Jay Leno really quick. They had moved him around to give him a show again. Yep. That they canceled My Name is Earl for, which I'll never forgive NBC for, because <laughs> My Name is Earl was a good show, mm. that they canceled to give Jay Leno a talk show again, and I don't even fucking remember how long that lasted. I think he just got another show about cars. Yeah, because he loves old cars. Which, yeah. you want to hear my six degrees of separation from Jay Leno? What? So do you know about my mom's I have the car restoration friend who owns the car restoration? They do stuff for him all the time. Yeah. So I keep wanting to ask my mom, like, hey, is, <laughs> is her business ever on the show? Because, you know, they're basically Mark's cars. Yeah. <laughs> Jay Leno just happens to own them. He but... probably doesn't talk about that. Oh, probably not. He just wants to show them off. With all his celebrity friends. Yeah. I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> People can't see that. <laughs> I don't even know if I'll keep this in the show. Mm. I probably will because I don't have any better opening. This is a great opening. I this is, yeah. This is, you know, a great eight minutes of material talking about late night. I have opinions about late night. I have, I have some opinions about daytime. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really want to watch Ellen ever. No. I don't know. She's just makes... Like, it's just secondhand embarrassment Yeah, she's me. irritating. It's not irritating. It's just... She's awkward. Yeah, she's trying too hard. It's awkward, and she just kind of sits there and goes, huh? Yeah. And I'm like, uh, Ellen? <laughs> like, I love... There's a bunch of interviews with celebrities I love to watch, but I get secondhand embarrassment just looking at her. <laughs> just looking... Like, the, the, like, the little preview image for her videos is just, like... Evil energy, reading, eating at me. Cursed image, Ellen yeah. DeGeneres. Yeah. Like, I don't have any horrible problems with her, but she's just awkward at it. So I'm like, oh, okay. okay. I can't remember the last time I watched her. Uh, it's been a long time. I think maybe the last time I saw her was when I was going to go get back surgery. So I was there. Oh. And there was like, you know, all the TVs were on in the yeah lobby, waiting room, whatever the fuck. 
And she either she was on or it was um Kelly Ripa and Oh boy. The other guy. The guy who isn't Regis. Strahan? Strahan, there we go. I was like Michael something. Yeah, I might have been watching them. I don't remember. Yeah. But God Daytime TV is the worst. Again, not to bring it back to Craig Ferguson. But we should always bring it back to Craig Ferguson. I love him so much. He once said on his show, he was like, listen, daytime TV is around to help people. That's why I'm not on in the daytime. He was just interviewed by someone at late night. Because he was like, oh yeah, I just got my you know American citizen status just in time. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, Craig. It's true. He loves America so much. Yeah, he does. It's a real shame what America is. It's a shame what it's doing to him. It's true. How dare it do this to him? All the stress it's bringing him. All the horror. Personally, let's just start a fucking GoFundMe for another Craig Ferguson show. Honestly. Yeah, because he had the one on History Channel for a while that wasn't bad, except some of his guests were really annoying. (laughs) Yeah. They They had the mom from Modern Family on, and she tanked the whole fucking episode. Because yeah. she's awful. Yep. A lot of the other ones I was like, this is, some of you are awkward, but Craig knows how to make you have fun. Yeah. Because he literally did that on Late Night for years, was make people have fun. That's just his personality. Well, he's, a, he's a comedian. A hundred percent, yeah. People would be like, hi, I'm here to plug this thing, and he's like, fuck that. <laughs> We're not doing that. Nope. You came on the Late Night show with the robot and the horse. What are you talking about? <laughs> We're not talking about this album you made. <laughs> uh, or I feel like he brought a, a like a friend on, like Peter Capaldi. They just sat back and talked yeah. the shit. Like they, there's no plugging of anything. It's like, oh, remember when we did drugs and we we're in a band? And it's like, Craig, yes, Craig, get this back on track. But also, I love it. Craig, I love this. But also, you're on national- why is Peter here? You're on national television. <laughs> Good job just hanging out with your friend. Yeah, I, don't, I think the appearances with Eddie Izzard, I don't know if he was ever on to plug anything, but they were just fucking around. Yeah, yeah. And then also Ewan, because he was a good friend, like any Scottish person, basically. Yeah. But yeah, whenever Ewan was on, or Peter Capaldi, it was just, hey, hang back and relax and let's catch up. What's up, my dude? Yeah. What's up, my dude, with Craig Ferguson? He might say something like, oh, you're like, you're gonna be in this movie. And it's like, yeah, but it's like, oh, that's great. And then they move on. Cool, I threw these prompt cards away. Yeah. (laughs) I think I'll start the show now. Okay, fine. (laughs) Whatever. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Spooky Spot, where my name is Jess. I'm Liz. And today we're talking about a real humdinger of the Twilight Zone. (laughs) This okay. is, like, literally the most famous Twilight Zone episode. Really? Yeah. I never even heard of it. It, Which surprises me very much. Yeah. But it's definitely one of the most parodied. It was one of Rod's favorites. I found that out looking it up. This was, like, one of his favorites. Well, who parodies it? Futurama did it. The Drew Carey show. <laughs> <laughs> literally, they had, like, a Y2K episode once. Everyone did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his his glasses broke, so he couldn't read all his porn mags. Mm, that okay. was that was his bent on it. Who else? I feel like The Simpsons at least said there was time now. I don't know if they ever explicitly mm-hmm. referenced it, but like, yeah, it's just Rod just took this concept that apparently no one had ever thought of before and blew it up. Yeah, he he took this lady's short story and blew it up, 
and it was it became a classic. You stop Joe Jackass on the street and ask him what he knows about the Twilight Zone, and he'll say the theme song, and probably the one with the guy's glasses break. I don't know. A lot of people I talk to don't watch any Twilight Zone. Hmm. Which, you know, hmm. Yeah. Says something about the people I talk to, I guess. But, I guess. Uh, no, it's just, like, no one in my family okay. has really seen, has a big interest like I do. Mm-hmm. But maybe one or two might have heard of it, maybe, and that's a stretch. Because, mm. you know, if they're going to hear about it, it's probably going to be through me <laughs> if I haven't heard about it. Possibly. Maybe my mom's seen it. Maybe. I think she, I remember her talking about some old Twilight Zone stuff, you know, on her tiny little black and white TV. <laughs> Bless. So the episode we watched today, which I guess I should name. No. <laughs> rather than just talk around it. We watched episode eight, Time Enough at Last. Last, last, last. Time Enough at Last. <sighs> I suppose we can jump right into it. Yeah. Yeah. We open on a bank. There's people, as all great stories do, it opens in a bank. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a teller counting out bills for a woman with the biggest hair I've ever seen. <laughs> she's she's pretty up there, yeah. Out, outside of maybe the eighties, she yeah. has the biggest hair I've ever seen. Doesn't help that she has like a big fur coat on too. Yeah, she's you know just a very rich old woman who needs twenty five dollars. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he's counting out the ones, but then we can see there's a book in his lap that he's secretly reading and not counting very well. So that's what you should do, definitely. I can barely count money as it is. It's true. You want to count money while reading? Go for it. <laughs> you do, well, he doesn't do it good is yeah. the thing. Yeah, He fucks it up a bunch. And uh, we can see his nameplate, and his name is Henry Bemis. I'm definitely, without hearing about this episode, I have heard that name before mm. or you know you know they've used Bemis a bunch in other episodes uh, other things yeah maybe it's just popular and I don't know about it I don't know I've literally never heard the last name Bemis outside of this oh I've heard it episode couldn't no. tell you where but who knows so Henry Bemis is a real uh nebbish bookish man he's got these big old glasses that make his eyes look huge it's Really very comical. Big ol' owl. It's true, he's a fucking owl. Big ol' giant owl. (laughs) Like, the Coke bottle glasses probably started and ended with him right there. Yep. He had the whole supply of Coke bottle glasses. JK, they break. (laughs) Whoops. And then he has to go get some Coke bottles, and that's how he goes on living. (laughs) Whoops, I just solved his problem! I don't know, like, I don't have glasses, but I feel like if I did... And it was the end of the world. I'd look for something to, you know, some insurance. Yeah. Well, it it sprung up on him. Yes. No one expects the H-bomb. Much like the Spanish <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Except the paper was like, hey, what if that happens soon? Mm. Paper expected it. True. Paper was the Spanish. There's a psychic working at the paper. That's another episode of The Twilight Zone. Actually, I don't know if it is, but damn if it was. Damn. We're gonna have to go to Rod Sterling's grave. (laughs) We're gonna have to be like, hey, can we, like, write this for you? Do we have your approval? (laughs) Listen, Rod, I got a real pitch for you. (laughs) I'll take it to Jordan Peele if need be, but... (laughs) 
I want your blessing. <laughs> Pretty much. Bemis asks the woman if she's ever read David Copperfield, and he explains it's about a little boy whose father died and his mother marries an awful man named Murdstone. He's just super into, like, the names and not the actual plot. It's true, yeah, he does. Well, <laughs> have you ever read David Copperfield? No. Not to get all Bemis on you. No. Okay. There's a lot of those classics I've never read. Yeah, well, it's... I've only ever read excerpts. I think in like eighth grade we were reading some excerpts. So it's it's basically Charles Dickens's thinly veiled autobiography. Okay. It's basically just what his life was, and you know since that bitch was paid by the word, it ain't short. <laughs> it just goes. Yeah. Like, and he just hated his stepdad. Yeah, I don't know if his mom ever actually got remarried. I actually. Think his dad was alive for a pretty long time, but he was in and out of debtor's prison like a lot. Oh, debtor's prison! I'm so glad we don't have debtor's prison <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I mean, we still kind of do. Kind of, it's, it's just prison now, though. It, it's called a bank, and they can't actually throw you in prison, but they could. <laughs> it, uh, Let's not remind the banks about debtor's prison. It's true. Don't. Okay. Don't let them think that again. Somehow they forgot, and that's good. Well, they didn't forget we made it illegal in this country. Shh, they forgot. Pretty quickly. Because Charles Dickens got paid by the word, all his books are super fucking long. And people are like, oh, Dickens is great. And I'm like, listen, I ain't got time for this. Yeah. Like, I, I ain't no anti-intellectual, but I ain't got time to read Dickens. <laughs> like, it's good. Yeah, sure. It's important. Yeah, sure. But... Christmas Carol, and that's it. Like, Christmas Carol's nice and short. Have I read the Christmas Carol? You probably did. Probably? I think all of us had to read it in school. There's a lot of books that are like, oh, we had to read that, and I'm like, I, I guess I got out of that. But, like, <laughs> physically, we were sitting down in class reading it, so I don't know. That's that's what I was doing. Yeah, I didn't have an English class with you. I'm just gonna say that I did. Okay. I mean, you But I don't remember. <laughs> Listen, that's been parodied enough. You've basically read it. I'm sure yeah. he had Rich Old Man, Three Ghosts. I've seen the play of it. Learns like, how not to be an awful person. The play was really good. Most produ- A lot of productions are really good. Yeah. And you know, the Bill Murray version is obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that, actually. Oh, it's a trip. I've, I've heard it's very good. <laughs> it's a trip. It's an absolute trip. That and the, uh, the Muppets version, you know. I've never seen that. I haven't either. <laughs> I don't, I don't dabble in Muppet stuff. I don't like the Muppets that much. Don't, me, me don't, either. Don't tell anybody. Me either. Don't tell anybody as we record this podcast. Don't tell the internet. <laughs> I've never been interested. I've only been interested in those two dudes who sit in the balcony <laughs> and make fun of everybody on yeah. the Muppet show. Yeah. They're the best part of the Muppets. I obviously just like Oscar the Grouch. That too. That's it. Does he count as a Muppet or is he? Sucking? I don't know. That's that's why I don't know. I don't yeah, because there's there's all that overlap between Muppets and Sesame Street, and I don't know who counts as what. But he's probably not because he can't leave his fucking garbage can. Yeah, he lives in that garbage can. He can't travel the world. No, he I don't got legs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Quick Google search here. Does Oscar the Grouch have legs? Oh, look at that! No, no I don't know. <laughs> oh, his legs are a garbage can. Surprise. <laughs> No, yeah, I, the limited amount of Sesame Street that I was able to watch as a child, mm-hmm. I don't know much about any of them. 
Except Oscar Grouch, who lives in a garbage can. Oscar, obviously Cookie Monster, and the Count Dracula. Count? No. The he, Count. Wasn't he literally just called the Count because he fucking counted? I think, yeah, he must have just been the Count. You know, big bird guy. Yeah. I once admitted to someone, not admit, I, I like, you know, confessed to someone that I didn't know the snuffle thing. And they're like, uh, what? And I'm like, I don't know what it is. I don't know its role. It's just, <laughs> him big. Is, is it like a dog? <laughs> it had a trunk, so it was definitely kind of like a... Yeah, but it didn't talk and it acted elephant. like a dog, didn't it? Maybe. I don't remember well enough. Big Bird is a bird. He talks, but this thing had a trunk. It didn't talk. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> partially because, like, definitely for sure that costume was way too big. Oh, yeah. There's, like, five people in there. Yeah, there's, like, five <laughs> people up in that. <laughs> one person a leg. <laughs> and then one person does the trunk. Yeah, 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 yeah. done. Oh, my God, we're so off track. <laughs> <laughs> you started talking about Dickens, okay? Okay, but that's because he was reading Dickens. So he's reading David Copperfield, but the woman... <laughs> Who he's counting money for is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Get me a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> you miscounted and you, you know, there's supposed to be $25 here. There's only 24 He's like, oh, what? <laughs> he, he does a lot of blinking and what? then realizes that she's actually talking to him about his job when he just wants to, to talk about Dickens. Couldn't he find a book club anywhere or start one? Um, men don't read, so no. True, yeah, men don't read. Especially men then. Apparently we're not allowed to read. I, yeah, that's yeah. a whole, anti-intellectualism is the the big. <laughs> the name of the game, folks. The <laughs> name of the game. I was going to say the thesis of this episode, but name of the game. Name sure. of the game. So he's like, oh, okay, well, you know, gives her a dollar. And she leaves. And he keeps, well, actually, no, he goes back to talking about the book. He's like, oh, there's this dude who's always going off to debtor's prison. He's so funny. Yeah, he doesn't even know she's left. Uh, yeah, he just keeps talking about the, the book. He doesn't even realize she's gone. And so he's like, oh, okay. So he puts up his... Uh, next window. Next window, please sign. And continues to sit there and read. And we see a shadow pass over his book as his boss sneaks up behind him. And uh, that dude ain't pleased. <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, hey, Bemis... What are you doing? Can I talk to you in my office to chew you out? And he's like, Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> in his blissfully ignorant state. Yeah. And so he uh, follows the president into his office as we get our opening narration. We find out he is a, quote, charter member in the Fraternity of Dreamers. Yeah, okay. End quote. Not, not the best phrasing, but okay. He tried. And he uh, loves that written word, but, you know, nobody wants to let him read. But soon, he'll be in a world where there won't be no one to tell him not to read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody gonna take my books away. <laughs> yep. And so in the president's office, he's uh, giving a very roundabout speech about what constitutes a productive member of the bank. And that it's a bank teller who knows his job. And does his job. And he's a real organization man. And Bemis, that ain't you. <laughs> we're establishing a theme that we're going to see a lot going forward, which is the concept of the outsider from society. Because, you know. That's what he is. Twilight Zone love tackling that. It's a good theme. Yeah. It's anti-intellectualism, 
the dangers of conformity, nostalgia, all these things very common here in the Twilight Zone. Mm, nostalgia, though. Nostalgia's gonna come up a few times, as much as I know. I really think they nailed it in that first one. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're gonna rehash it a couple more times. And he goes, you, Bemis, you're a reader. How dare you? Basically, like, acts like he's got the plague. <laughs> How fucking dare you? Just spit on him, why don't you? Yeah. He's like, I've seen you go into the vault on your lunch hour to read, and hey, Mr. President, it's none of your business what Bemis does on his free Literally. time. Literally. He is allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Just because he's not a 100% bank fucker like you. <laughs> Patented bank fucker. Literally. It's like... I just, that's what I, that's what's unanswered for me is, what is he supposed to be doing on his break? Sitting at the desk waiting for people to come get money. How dare he take a break is maybe kind of the attitude. I don't know. It's just, it's my biggest question in this whole episode is, what is he supposed to be doing on his break? Work. (laughs) (laughs) If I were writing the episode, that is what it would be. Yeah. Which I think is maybe kind of the implication here. Probably. Is how how dare you take a break? Uh, so the president says, "All right, well, you either do your damn job and you stop reading, or you go read forever because you're not gonna have a job. Jobless, homeless, go on a bench, be like one of those people." <laughs> Bemis is like, "Yeah, okay, but I'm still gonna do it." <laughs> He's like, "Say what you want to say, and then get back to your cage." <laughs> mm, love that. Chef kiss capitalism. Yeah. And he's like, like, okay, I get you, but like, I can't read at home because my wife doesn't want me to read. Mmm. So much there in that one sentence. <laughs> my wife doesn't want me to read. Gosh. Uh, anytime I'm reading a newspaper, she comes and yanks it out of my hand. And she hides all the magazines. God. <laughs> And I tried to read condiment bottles, and now she won't let me have those. Hey, Bemis, you married a bully. <laughs> Bemis, why'd you marry this woman? And so the president is like, hmm, well, you want to know what I think? I think your wife is very smart for not letting your bitch <laughs> ass read. Yeah. Psych, get out of here. I had a note here that I'm going to try to put into an actual phrase that a person would say. So they're all very against reading. Anti-intellectualism is our name of the game. But also just in general, it's like self-betterment that they're completely against. Yeah. Because, you know, reading is, is good for you. It makes you better. They don't think that. Yeah. Well, anti-self-betterment, because if you aren't better, you're a better part of the machine. Mm-hmm. Love that machine. I think it... I don't know about the time period, but I think it's also just a gender thing, too. That, too. Like, the wife kind of throws it off, or, you know, hating him reading, or she's just really against the husband reading. But it's also, like, reading is was, like... The girls' thing to do. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, 59, we were still... Yeah. Love those gender roles that we really had to set up. Women stay home and read and sew and cook. Well, women don't even read. Yeah. No, because you have to sew and cook. (laughs) You don't got time to read. Nobody read! Nobody! Books down! Nobody read! Nobody! Any time in the decade that was the 1950s, read books. They all forgot how to read. That's when both my parents were born. <laughs> they didn't read any books. <laughs> they didn't read until 
1960, and then people were allowed to read again, sort of. I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> God. Like, my mom couldn't, because she was old enough. There you go. She didn't read yeah. in the 50s. Done. The president talks about, oh, you remember last November, how you were, uh... Reading all the campaign buttons on everybody's shirt, and you were staring at some lady's titties, and she got real mad about it. She hit you with her purse. What? <laughs> she tried to beat you with an umbrella, and he's like, "Listen." Yeah, I love how he's like, "Okay, but I still don't know who she voted for." And that- the bank teller's just like, "I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Get out." <laughs> I love this actor playing the president because he's just such an asshole. Yeah, and he does all his acting with his eyebrows, and it's great. Yeah, he actually, he can actually do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Flashback horror story too. Fucking the nostalgia when he goes in the past and the dad with all the makeup on his face. Oh yeah. It's all eyebrows. And he's the, just he's just putting them up and down. There's no rhyme or reason. He, he's doing bad eyebrows yeah. back in back in that episode. That man haunts me. <laughs> I his H D face haunts me. <laughs> Ever since you brought up his makeup thing, I've been looking at everyone like real closely, like oh, how, yeah. how did the makeup get done here? Yeah. No one's been as bad as air, no. airbrush dad. No, it's because they're that's that another thing I didn't get answered in that episode is since the makeup was so bad, were you trying to make him look older or younger? And why don't you just get an, an age appropriate actor? <laughs> nope, absolutely not. So uh, the president is like, "All right, I'm done with this. Get out of my sight." And uh, on his way out, Bemis gets distracted by the magazines that are on the table by the door, mm-hmm. and the president's like, "Get out of here!" Makes a little like tss, like a dog. <laughs> get out of here! Don't make me get the no-no can. Honestly. <laughs> now that's what I call employee incentivism. Yeah, I want to see much of just getting sprayed by shit. Get back to work. <laughs> we fucked up. Let's do it. Done. At Amazon. I get fired in a second. <laughs> So later at his house, Henry's trying to read the paper while his wife is uh, calling for him. And she's doing a very, um, you know, like that pig call, like, Sue. Yeah. Yeah. Henry. Henry. I don't know what that's called, but yeah. Fucking pig call. I would call it calling. I don't know. I think it's a certain kind. Yeah. It's definitely to do with, like, you know, farming slash the South. Yeah. About, you know animals. Yeah. They'll respond to that. Which is, you know, good to do to your husband. <laughs> 100%. And so she, uh, comes bustling in and she yanks the paper out of his hands as he said she does. Yeah. Boy, straight people sure do hate each other. <laughs> Honestly! <laughs> this is such a horrible marriage. It's, oh god, it's the worst. And how she, did they fucking meet? I don't know how they wound up married. Cause that's, another question is like, I would think that Henry's always wanted to read, mm-hmm. but I don't think she would have married him if he was. Yeah. Or maybe she was just more tolerable back then, and then all of his reading drove her crazy. True. There's, that's the only two options I can think of. Yeah. And the first one's not even an option, really. How did that get married? How How did this come about? I don't understand. He did a good job at the bank. I, We're gonna get married. I guess, yeah. So, she's giving him some BS about, oh, do you want more coffee? No. Well, why don't you tell me? Yeah. Rather than just sneaking off to read. She really wants conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, I don't want a husband of mine who ignores the art of conversation. 
so this made me think about all those opinion pieces that are like, oh, technology is ruining people talking to each other. Yeah. And it's like, okay, before that, we just... We had newspapers. We had newspapers or we read books on the bus. Like, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? And it's like, nobody wants to talk to each other. Ever. Ever. The art of conversation is the worst. When you want to talk, when you are someone who wants to talk to someone, you find someone else who wants to do that. You don't marry someone who just wants to read. Yeah, God. Or give him a goddamn break once in a while. Get off his back. He wants us for life. Don't love this wife. <laughs> Res- respect your stupid bookie husband. Yeah. Let your husband read for five fucking minutes. Nope. Oh, She's God. a giant bully. Henry kind of laughs and she's like, you won't tolerate a, a husband of yours reading? Like, how many husbands do you have? You'll- don't talk about it. It's a sore subject. I only have you. I only have this one husband <laughs> and I hate him. They just hate each other so much. Well, I don't even think he hates her. He's just... He doesn't, no. He's so tired. No, he doesn't hate her because when she tries to... When she tricks him with... Oh, you want to read with me? And he's like, yeah, okay, great. Like, he wants to share mm-hmm. the interest of reading. As much as reading can be a communal activity, mm-hmm. which it only is if you're reading out loud, mm-hmm. which if you do that when other people don't want it, that's the shittiest thing to do. Yeah. So, like, he wants to share his interest with her, and she ain't having none of it. Because, you know. They hate it. Just, like, she hates reading. Straight people. She hates literacy. Hates interests. And hobbies. She'd burn down the library if she could. She probably has. She <laughs> she, she hates this life because it's a co- it's a secret cover. She's already burned down one library. <laughs> the library arsonist she's coming on, to a town near you. She's on the lam right now. Oh no! That's why she married him so she could change her last name. Change her last name, and you know, no one would suspect her because oh, arsonist wouldn't marry this weak book guy. <laughs> I'll hide in the den of my enemy. <laughs> this man who loves books. <laughs> Famed book arsonist marries book lover. <laughs> oh, this is, this is so much better. God. I'm just going to have to, you know, take this one character, give her her own episode. Yeah. But I don't know if it's going to be a Twilight Zone episode or like an on order episode because she's an arsonist. <laughs> it's true, she's an arsonist. Maybe she's on Snapped. (laughs) God. So, uh... (laughs) She's like, well, we're going over to the neighbors to play cards, so change your shirt. Okay, bye. You bore me. (laughs) Basically, yeah. You bore me. You bore me. Shout out to Brooklyn. You bore me. (laughs) And the minute she's out of the room... He uh, goes and digs around in his easy chair until he can find a book that he has hiding there. It's almost like a drinking problem. Yeah. But he's hiding books around the house. Yeah, and like, because, yeah, he looks around the room mm-hmm. like, oh, is there anything? I'm like, no, he has to squirrel shit away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he has the book and he tucks it into his jacket pocket and puts on his jacket and gets ready to go. He didn't go change his shirt. Nope. Like he told her he would. Nope. But, you know, that's okay. Unimportant now. <laughs> Completely unimportant. And so he uh, opens the door to leave and she's right there. <laughs> she she knew what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. We get a nice little jump scare because he's like, Ugh. Maybe that's like Stockholm Syndrome. Because if, if she knows... Him? Yeah, if she... Yeah. If, like, because 
she knows his like every fucking move. She knows that he was just doing something suspicious. We find out that she know she knew where the book he hid mm-hmm. was, and just that's just like that's next level. That's more than that's creepy. That's a st- like a stalker, but mm-hmm. you're married to it. <laughs> you're married. I don't to your know stalker. how to explain that relationship more in depth because it's weird. Yikes! But yeah, it's might be a little bit like Stockholm syndrome. Maybe his whole life he's been bullied, and now he's just used to it and likes and it. And now he's just married to a bully. Yeah. And so she's like, well, "What do you have?" And he's trying to play dumb. He's like, what? Me? I, I've never had a thing in my life. <laughs> and she just immediately reaches into the, the inside pocket of his jacket and she's like, what about this? Mm? And he's like, how'd that get there? How about this uh, book of modern poetry? And he's like, I've never seen... I'm just holding that for a friend. I, yeah, I, like, I don't know what poetry is at all. What are you talking about? She's like, hmm, you want to read it to me? And this is, he's so hype. Yeah, and she just eggs him on. And she has, like, this weird smirk on her face. Yeah, because she knows knows. what's up. She knows. He doesn't know what's up with the book because he didn't look at it before he stuck it in his jacket. No. They both sit down on the couch. Yeah, because she's like, oh, yeah, you can read to me. And he's like, oh, great, there's some great poems. Love this T.S. Eliot. Love this, um... There's two other people I don't remember, but then there's Robert Frost. You know, all the greats of, of modern poetry. And so he opens the book, he's all excited, and all the pages have been scribbled on. Yeah. So you can't read it. And he's just like, um... um. And yeah, she's got a wicked smirk on her face. Yeah. And he's like, who did this? <laughs> I didn't do this. <laughs> How could this happen? Yeah. She's like, who do you think did it? You should thank me. So that way I don't have this weak-ass husband who reads. And he's like, why would you do this? And she's like, because I'm married to a fucking fool. And she rips the book out of his hand. And she's ripping the pages out. She's to add insults to injury. Yep, yep. Ripping them out. Throwing them on the floor. Ripping them out. Throwing them on the floor. And it's like, hey, you married him? Yeah. You ma- Who's the fool? There's- you married him. No, no respect there. Henry kneels down to... Pick up all the loose papers and he stuffs them sadly back in the cover. Clutching to them, yeah. <laughs> Clutches them to his chest and just the saddest man. And so the next day at the bank, Bemis takes his lunch down to the vault and he shuts himself in. You know, he's looking around all surreptitiously because the, the president didn't explicitly tell him not to go down there anymore, but... He, he kind of just gave up on him. Yeah, he, you know, doesn't want to get caught going down there again. And so he he shuts himself in the vault. I know this is like a trope thing where people get locked in a vault and then they can't get out because it doesn't lock from the inside. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's a a normal thing for for vaults, if you're supposed to be able to get out. How much do you know about bank vaults? Well, just thinking of them, how like that giant handle on the outside, I don't see how there's... I think I'm just thinking of like a submarine door, like is <laughs> like a little like hand, like a little like steering wheel on the other side to close it. True. I've yeah. seen like there's obviously like just movies, but I've seen movies with like that little handle on the other side to close it. Mm-hmm. But this one was obviously a very different vault, and vaults have evolved, and I guess some you can lock from the inside and some you can't. Yeah. Also, I. Just realized he can just close the door, but then if the wheel doesn't get turned, the vault's not fucking locked. Yeah. So he's just in there. Yeah. Okay. He's just hanging around in this vault. Yeah. 
And he uh, finishes his book, bless, sets it aside, <laughs> picks up the paper, and uh, it has a very disconcerting headline. Giant headline. <laughs> Bigger than normal for a paper. Well, so you can read it on screen yeah. very well. Oh, that's true. Tiny TVs. Okay. Tiny TV needs big headline for, for paper, which is also a paper headline. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny TV needs big headline. H-bomb, capable of total destruction. That's great. That's nice, yeah. Love reading about that. Love that fear of nuclear war. <laughs> At all times. At all time. We had like a couple years... Where it wasn't important, nope. but now we're right back at it again. Fear yep. of nuclear war. Yep. Thank you. It's like it hibernated, but now it's back. It's true. It just slept for a little bit yeah. and then woke up. God. <laughs> this bitch of an earth. Um, <laughs> These bitch of bombs. Yeah. These bitch of the bombs. <laughs> and so, Bemis just kind of looks at the headline and he's like, hmm. Yeah, literally. Oh, Okay. Scene. Yeah. Scene 9.24 a.m. Yeah. Except now it's lunchtime for him. I don't know when he took his lunch. Scene at noon. So he puts the newspaper to the side, and then the camera kind of pans over to where his watch and book are, and suddenly the book flips open, and the watch breaks. I feel like it was supposed to be like the watch was in the book. No. The, book, I don't the two were both definitely sitting next to each other. The, I I always saw it as like the watch kind of slides out against the page, Maybe. and then it breaks. It's I There's mean, it's still no reason for it to fucking flip open. It's the impact of the bomb flips the book open, but yeah, you can't, yeah, yeah. You can't organically get a book to flip open unless you drop a bomb and then a book will flip open, and then a watch will break. <laughs> it's, just, it's just too many parts, and it, it wasn't played out so well. Yeah, I think if the watch just broke, it would be fine. Because yeah. then, a, then a second later, there's a huge explosion and that a lot of rumbling. That you hear. And a lot of camera shaking. Yeah. And Bemis stumbling around. Stumbling and just laying down. Yes. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think he, like, trips, falls backward, hits his head, and gets knocked out. I don't know. I think that's what's intended to be read is what happened. And so he, uh... Falls back unconscious, and that's the end of Act 1. So we come back from the break, and uh, Bemis wakes up, and he stands very shakily, and his glasses have kind of fallen down his face, off over his nose, but they're still on his face. And he there's a long extended sequence of him groping for the vault door. Dude, just fix your glasses. Yeah. <laughs> just fix your glasses and push the door open. But he does eventually get the the door open and we see some very blurry rubble and then we get to, we get a trick that's probably my favorite part of this episode of the glasses over the yeah thing. the glasses over the camera where the the focus the shots out of focus and then as bemis puts his glasses back up on his eyes the shot comes into focus and we can see the smoking rubble and i, I think it's fun camera work yeah that, I wish shows did more of. I don't know. There's not enough characters with glasses anymore. It's true. Especially from their perspective. Yeah. We gotta... The age of the glass protagonist is over, Jess. Damn. Now they're just the sidekicks. Damn. Alright. And I blame Bemis, because he broke his glasses. And so, uh, yeah, everything's, you know, real fucked up. (laughs) Real steamy and broken. 
most of this wreckage, at least in the bank set, is just, like, planks leaning on the walls. Yeah, like, he still has the completely clear pathway outside of the bank. Like, a cubicle is all broken up with some planks, so, like, where, I guess, part of the ceiling fell. But the bank is not horrible compared to, like, his house, which is, like, a wall Gone. of bricks. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, uh, stumbling around in the, the wrecked bank. I like his, um... His physicality here, because he very clearly doesn't want to touch anything. Yeah. But he still, you still see him, like, bump up on stuff and stuff falls over. And then suddenly, while he's upstairs on the main floor, a voice starts talking about, you know, adherence to duty to the bank or whatever. And so he peeks over an overturned desk and he sees a hand sticking out of some rubble. Mm. Holding the player, voice, the voice player recorder. to a recorder. Yeah. And he's... It, I think I'm pretty sure that's the president's voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, "All right, that's my speech, Jacqueline. Type it up in triplicate." And Venus almost throws up, but turns around and keeps on walking. Well, he sees the he sees the recorder blow up too. Yeah, he's like, "I'm getting out of here." He's like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> Had enough of this. That man's crushed." <laughs> Venus shuffles on out of the the bank, and it's a complete wasteland outside. Just piles of rubble and a matte set of and a, a painted backdrop. Painted backdrop of more rubble and wasteland. The plain color of the sky. Yep, Bemis cowers a little bit. I do want to say one thing in his favor is that he doesn't do a lot of monologuing. Yeah, which is good. Yeah, because we were well, you were. I'd seen this before, but you were scared he would monologue himself to death. Yeah. Like so many other men in this series. You see a man alone on the screen and he's gonna monologue. He's gonna talk. He doesn't do that until about halfway through the, the act when it starts to get to him. Wait, because you get Rod voiceover again. Yeah, yeah. Just saying how long he's been walking. Yeah. Or that he doesn't know how long it's been anymore. We get a little montage of Bemis stumbling around in the wreckage. And the narration, like you said, about the slow passage passage of time. As he searches for somebody, anybody, any signs of civilization. So Bemis tries out a a dead telephone or payphone. He sees his own dented mailbox of his at his house. Literally, yeah, just a brick wall that's left. A brick wall and a mailbox, that's all he has. I really like in the narration here, there's one phrase. Battered monuments to what was but is no more. Mm. It's nice. It's spooky. Chef Kiss. <laughs> Most of Rod's voiceovers are like that. I can only say like two that were kind of flat. Yeah, I don't know. I like that phrase in particular. And he <laughs> he stands on the ashy remains of his house and is like, Helen. Yeah, Helen. She did. She's not there no more. No one's there no more. And the narration says he's on an eight-hour tour of a graveyard. That doesn't have any bodies in it, I'll notice. Because they all got vaporized. Well, that's why I know the, the the president's hand in the bank was just for show, but I was like, all right, but why is his hand there? <laughs> Everyone should just be a couple bunch of dust. I would presume he survived the blast because the building protected him, but then the building fell down and crushed him. Yeah. So, you know. But no one else in the building survived. You don't see bodies in the middle of the lobby. They all got crushed. Uh, he's not in the middle of the lobby. He's walking around like the periphery. No, but when, when he leaves, there. he goes to the lobby. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of planks leaning. <laughs> Can't tell what's up. 
Bemis slowly figures out that everybody is dead and that the vault protected him from the blast. He's like, I'm alive, but I don't know if I want to be alive. So he finds a, a grocery store with lots of food that didn't get incinerated. Surprise. <laughs> Psych. And he's like, all right, well, don't have to worry about that. Got plenty of food for years and years. It's fine. There's that basic need taken care of. He won't die. And he finds a uh, real fucked up couch. Yeah. <laughs> a couch that survived the apocalypse for the most part, but then looks like it got attacked by rats. <laughs> She's been in an alley for a while. Yeah. For a couple hours and yeah. it, you know, already had a real hard life. So he lays on the wrecked couch and he's pondering what he should do now that he's all alone. I've been thinking, since this is like the th- third fourth episode that we've watched about a man who winds up all by himself. A lot of what they're examining is the difference between being alone and being lonely. Mm-hmm. Like and solitude. Yeah. Where is everybody boy? <laughs> I'm in the Air Force! He's in the Air Force. He, since he didn't have anything else to do to occupy his mind, he was alone and lonely. Yeah. And he went crazy from it. And then, who the fuck else was there? The Lonely Man. <laughs> <laughs> From last week. The lonely man. You know, the lonely man. Corey. Corey from last week. Who, he was kind of on that track of being alone and lonely. That got fixed where he was alone, if you don't count the robot as a person. But he wasn't lonely, because he had the, the machine of the robot to keep him company. Yeah. Bemis follows a similar track where he's alone and lonely, until he finds the books, and then he's just alone, and it's fine. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, I think it's an interesting through mark of the difference between being alone and lonely. Well, since... Yeah, and the first one, first episode, when Rod had that voiceover of um, Man's Greatest Fears Solitude. Something like that, Like, yeah. it's definitely something he loves to go through. Yeah. And interpret. It's definitely, definitely on his mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's like a common societal thing about like i'll hear people complain all the time oh i want to do this but i don't have anyone to go do it with me it's like just go do it yeah oh i want to go to the movies i don't want to go alone just go to the movies by yourself what's what's wrong with you just do it no one's gonna question why you're doing it by yourself yeah it doesn't matter no one will even notice you're there yeah bottom line is if you want to do something but you don't have anybody to do it with fuck them just go do it yourself (laughs) unless it's something that requires two people yeah Bemis is just like, oh, this, uh, it wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for the damn loneliness. This is just what my life will be, just walking around, eating, smoking cigarettes. <laughs> is that just what it is? And he drifts off to sleep. And then he, uh, wakes up some in- We have no idea. Interminable amount of time later. The light doesn't even change. It's true, the light, <laughs> light never changes. We have very little sense of time. I'm pretty sure this is supposed to be set in California, so, like, it's nice and mild out so you can sleep outside. Okay. Like, I really don't feel like it's set around here. I just figured in in the middle of summer anywhere it's gonna be mild. I guess. I don't know. I didn't think it was summer. Well, we never see him outside until it's rubble, so we have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just thinking about places where you can sleep outside more than you could around here, because around here you can't do that for most of the year. No idea. California, you can sleep outside for a lot of the time because it doesn't rain that much and it's pretty warm. I don't know. That's just me. So he gets up, 
puts his jacket back on, straightens his tie, smooths out his hair, and then he sees a car. And he's very excited about this car. And he goes and he runs to get into it, but it doesn't run when he starts it. Don't know why. I think the blast pushed it into a wall, because it looks it like... It like all by itself. In the way that it's staged, you can see the car, and then there's like a wall that's kind of coming out, like past where the car is, I and there's, like, the dust on the front, I'm pretty sure it got pushed into a brick wall by the blast of the bomb. It would, that would, he does the horn, and that would also destroy the horn. I guess. If it was, hit the front of the car. I don't know. I don't remember seeing any dents. I just remember looking at the windshield and how it's still there. Yeah, the windshield's got a couple <laughs> of holes in it, but... <laughs> I don't know. It's it's it, it doesn't run, so he can't leave. He can't go anywhere. It's gonna the, bother me. The whole point. I don't know if Rod knows how cars work. It's just to keep him there. But even if the car did run, the road is full of rubble. You can't technically go anywhere anyway. It's true. I suppose just having a car running would be something to do. And then he runs out of gas, and he's miserable again. Yeah, the car was a bad thing in this episode. It was. He could have got excited over so many other things. That's true. Well, we gotta. Though maybe it was to like you know. Oh, if there's a car, maybe he can go look for other people. Yeah. I don't know. That's how I'd, I might be able to see it. And so he uh, just starts calling out for somebody, anybody. This wouldn't be so bad if I wasn't just stuck with the solitude. Yes, I've, I've got enough to, you know, keep myself alive and occupy my time. No, you don't. <laughs> you need something to occupy your time. He He's, like, trying to be grateful for the fact that he's alive. And I love that within one breath, he goes from, Yes, I'm very fortunate. I'm very, I'm super fortunate. Help! Help! (laughs) And he just starts shouting out for help. Yeah. Anybody, somebody, anybody. (laughs) It's, It's a good performance. He's doing a good job. Yeah, he's a good actor. Definitely. Burgess Meredith went on to be in a lot of stuff after this. He was also in another episode of The Twilight Zone. Or he was in a couple other ones. There's another one where he plays basically this exact same character, but he's a librarian in a world where libraries have been outlawed. So what, oh, do, boy. what do we need a librarian for if we don't have any more libraries? So he has to... He's what? basically like put on trial to justify his existence anymore. Gosh. I forget when that one is. That's not for a while. In the middle of his uh, rationalizing here, he trips into the ruins of a sporting goods store and knocks over a whole glass display case. Again? Why don't you just go around smashing stuff? I don't know. If you want to occupy your time, just go around smashing shit. Because he's a book nerd. He's not a fucking hooligan. (laughs) He's not a hooligan like us. Unless you, like, you think of Parks and Rec, like, you know, punk-ass book jockeys. (laughs) Those are the hooligans. Oh, truly. Punk-ass book jockeys. But no, it's... I thought about maybe it's his age, because he's, like, late 40s, maybe 50. Something like that. But, yeah, go loot anything. Yeah, just go purposefully knock over all the glass bookcases in town. Yeah. Because who gives a shit? What are they going to do? Call the cops? And also, I would do it just to see what else you got, like, around. Yeah. Well, he finds in the, the shattered case... A gun! Uh, that was like a gun display. Was it a gun display? Yeah, before it fell over, there was like six or seven guns there. Just, you know. Just he, hanging. Here's our guns at the sporting goods store. Yeah. 
love America, even back in 1959. Yeah. Love the guns at the sporting goods store. <laughs> but he, uh, you know, picks up a gun and he's like, all right, zero to suicide real quick. <laughs> real quick. Let's go. Can't wait to die. <laughs> Can't wait to die. This is going to be great. He's like, oh, I'm sure I'll be forgiven for this. Because, you know. Uh, with my situation, he'll forgive me. Suicide's a, a sin, but, you know, I was the last one here. I'm kind of going through it right now. I'm having a real bad time. <laughs> I've been doing this for a total of 12 hours, and I can't stand it. Honestly, I need some time. I need, I need a time frame. I need a time frame. If he had been doing this for, like, a couple of weeks, yeah, then it's, you know... Rod, it's not hard to say that he did this for a couple weeks in that narration you did. You only went up to hours, so I have to assume he only did this for a few yeah, hours. I'm assuming it's been like day and a half at most. Maybe. At most. God. Local man after 18 hours decides, Suicidal. To, sh- decides to shoot himself. Because he can't talk to anybody or do anything. I, it's not even that he wants to talk to anybody. He just doesn't want to be Well, he, well he does. Yeah, he wants company, so... Yeah. Then he can talk to people about his books. True. He loves telling people about his books. As he's got the gun up to his temple, he suddenly sees... The library. The library! The library. It's huge. It's it's a big library. <laughs> it's got, like, you know, courthouse steps in front of it. <laughs> it used to be the courthouse until fucking they decided probably. to put all the books there. <laughs> And so, you know, we sure are lucky all these books made it. Mm-hmm. They survived the nuclear bomb. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, super excited. Super excited. Tripping over all these books. Knocking shit over. There's, you know, all of the Dickens, all of the Bernard Shaw, Browning, Shelley, and Keats all in one book, even though one of them <laughs> was not a romantic poet. Shelley and Keats, it makes sense to put in one book. Browning was like a hundred years later. But whatever. It's fine. I know my literary eras too well, apparently. Uh. And he's like, all the books. All of them. All the books I'll ever want or need. And he's tilting shelves over, just like pushing books off of shelves yeah. onto the ground. There's a big pile of them that he just falls down in. He's just like, ah, oh, it's wonderful. Love all this, all this Shakespeare and whatnot. Love these books. So in the next scene, he's uh, got some stacks. Stacks on stacks on stacks. Stacks on stacks on stacks. And he's so hype to read forever. Mm-hmm. He's like, Same. tomorrow and the next day. That month and then, and then this month. That, that year. year. Next year. Year after that. Year after that. And he's like, yes. And he sits down on the steps. The best part of all, and he only thinks this because there's a fallen clock face just in the middle of the stairs that he looks lovingly down upon. He's like, there's time now. There's all the time I want, all the time I need. There's time enough at last. Mm. Title of the episode. (laughs) They said the thing. They said the thing. He like drops a book next to him and then leans down to get it, but then trips and his glasses fall off, and they broke him. Womp, womp, Exactly. Can't believe... Literally, all this needs is that sad trombone noise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yep. He picks him up, and he's shaken, and the lenses fall out, and they're gone. And from that shot we saw before of him getting out of the vault, this bitch is blind without those. Yeah. He's fucking doomed. And so that's not fair, he says. That's It's not fair. There was time now. It's the fucking worst. <laughs> Good luck finding that gun now, Bemis. Yeah. Good luck finding anything. All that food. Mm. Good luck finding your way around. I can't believe man stumbles around wasteland blind. That's the rest of your life. There was some fire in the distance. He's probably going to walk right into that. Damn, I can't believe he walked right into a fire. I can't believe Henry Bemis accidentally grazed his hand on a nail while stumbling <laughs> and groping around. And then... He got tetanus. Yeah. And he died of an infection. Yep. The end. So as Henry Bemis is sobbing on these giant stairs because he can no longer read, we get our closing narration that quotes... I forget who wrote this fucking poem, but, um... <laughs> I, I think it was Shaw. <laughs> About how... The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And also the plans of Henry Bemis. Are you alright? I forget who wrote this fucking role. Yeah. He was Scottish, I know that much. Mm. Because he he originally wrote it in, like, Scottish. (laughs) Yeah, because it's like Scotch-Irish, kind of how Scottish Twitter works, except in poem format. Oh, boy. So you can read it and you understand that it is, you, you know what Language. is what is being said, because it's not Scottish Gaelic. Yeah. The best laid plans of mice and men off go awry. And hey, sometimes shit just doesn't work out the way you thought it would. Peace. <laughs> you thought you were going to get to read, but psych bitch, you live in an uncaring universe. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it is in this bitch of a Twilight Zone. <laughs> Now you're just a broken man in a broken landscape. Yeah. Bye. Have fun. That's the episode. We just zoom out on his sad figure. Zoom out on a sad man on the steps. So did you like this episode? It was alright. Okay. Do you think it lives up to the hype that I told you from before? That it's a very beloved one? I'd have to like, just watching it, not really, but I'd have to think about how this concept... And the short story probably hadn't been heard of, so it was probably a huge thing back then, and that's why it got a bunch of hype. Mm-hmm. Like, how much it influenced back then. I mean... And why it still influences today. Yeah. Well, it's... I also definitely think the concept of being in a bombed-out landscape was extremely topical. Yeah. It became topical again fairly recently. Yeah. So, there definitely is that aspect. There's also, like, you know... well. What would you do if you were in a bombed-out landscape? With no glasses. With no glasses. Or even just, yeah, what what would you, mm. Liz, mm. do in a bombed-out landscape? Fucking loot the shit out of everything. All right, cool, same. I'd have a little fucking castle or something. <laughs> I'd find a 40. I'd, I'd pour it out for, <laughs> for my hom- homies. Pour it out for my homies, and then I'd loot some shit. I'd loot, and I'd hoard the... F- fuck out of everything because mm-hmm, I can mm-hmm. and it's all mine now anyway yeah all those gu- I don't need six guns but they're mine now <laughs> I don't need six guns but they're mine <laughs> I'll just start shooting at stuff yeah that's true everybody's dead I'll be a great shot 
I love guns now. <laughs> now that no one's around to kill. I love guns. I love guns. Yeah. Now that I literally can't hurt anybody ever, I love guns. Like, yeah, I would read a bunch, too. Yeah. But uh, I definitely keep myself, you know... There's shit to do. There's definitely there's a budget. He went he he went like across town like and then he was like oh damn there's nothing and I'm like Henry there's gotta be a town that's more standing than this one yeah like not everything is completely impacted the same way yeah he he could go on the fucking road and go yeah. find another town I wouldn't go zero to suicide like he did that's true like yeah I get it's for the episode to see like oh man he contemplated this and like reading his life his his reason to live but. Mm-hmm. Dude. Damn. Dude. So can I tell you something? Can I tell you a bad hot take that I read when I was reading the Wikipedia article on this? So this is probably the most robust Wikipedia article that an episode of The Twilight Zone has. Because they list, you know, anti-intellectualism, fear of solitude, all the themes that get explored. And then among them is an over-reliance on technology... And I'm like, okay, well, let's see where this goes. And then, like, down in the analysis section, there was, like, one critic who wrote up that, like, when his glasses breaks, it's like how if you were the last person in the world and your Kindle broke. Like, his media, his... Oh, gosh. His method of accessing media, the glasses, was broken. No, he needs to to see, bro. It, exactly. I fucking hated reading he, that sentence. You can't do anything without them, bro. I was like, there is a big old difference between having your glasses broke and having your Kindle be broken. Like, oh, whoops, my phone broke, my Kindle broke. I can still go somewhere. I with, can still see. With without tripping. My eyes. <laughs> with my eyes. My eyes. It's like, yeah, I know it's like hip and cool to... Say that and hate millennials. To hate technology and be a fucking dullard and Thomas Edison was a witch. Yeah. But if the technology you're ridiculing is something that helps people who live are like handicapped, yeah. like no, that's stupid. Your take is bad now. That's just like this episode that that one take is just like the episode. It's like it's a betterment of your life is glasses and yeah. this person is against them apparently. How dare he have this betterment thing? I want to know, I guess they don't wear glasses. I get yeah. You know, it's gonna suck when they need him later in life. The dude who wrote this, I'm sure, would love the irony and some woman whose prosthetic leg breaks. Like, fuck no, that's sad. Yeah. That's really unfortunate. God. Anyway, there's a... I found a bad hot take. Thomas Edison was a witch, though. It's true, he was. <laughs> We're not gonna even explain that one. He just was a witch. Congratulations, demon. Yeah. <laughs> That's an anthology show. No, I'm sorry, no. A true, yeah, drunk it's, history does count as an anthology show. It's already people talking about stuff. It's true. People talk. Oh my god, people talking about people talking about stuff is like so meta. That's too meta. We can't get that meta. We're already pretty meta. We can't go out that other layer. That's too much. And it wouldn't even be talk. It wouldn't even be discussing the episode. It's just making jokes from the episode. It's literally just us reciting the episode. Yeah. Which, I mean, this also is. But this is funny. Yeah. I think. Mmm. 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 Mmm, that remains to be seen. Waiting for us to make a joke still. (laughs) It'll happen one day. Something will make a joke. So, uh, would you like to hear what we're watching next week? Sure. 
Next week we'll be watching episode 9, Perchance to Dream. Sounds familiar, but go on. A man with a severe heart condition who has been awake for a long time tells his psychiatrist that he will die if he goes to sleep. Oh no, I haven't seen this. Because a woman is trying to kill him. What? That's... There's a lot going... There's a lot to unpack there. Okay. Just in this uh, preview sentence. So that lady's just in your head? All right. Something like that. He doesn't want to go to bed and she only appears when he's sleeping. Yeah. The lady's in his head. Yeah. (laughs) She's the devil. Oh. I don't know, actually. I haven't seen the episode. I'm just taking a swing. Kind of makes sense if she is, yeah. But... If he's got a heart... Yeah, if he's got a heart... If if the heart condition is in the description of the episode, he's gonna die. She... She's death or the devil. Those are the only two things she could be. Probably death. God. Okay. So we'll, uh... We'll watch that next week. Okay. Okay. In the meantime, I think that'll do it for us today. Yes. Yes. Uh, if you would like to contact the show... Tell us what you think about this hashtag classic episode. Hmm. all right. <laughs> if you think it lives up to the hype or not. Uh, you can email the show at SpookySpotPod on gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us at the spooky spot on Twitter. The narration at the beginning of our episodes is done by my friend Tamara. You can find her on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> like most people? Uh, like most people. Uh, at Total Spiffage. If you want to hear me talk more, not about the Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah, you gotta plug yourself. Gotta, gotta plug myself. You can hear me on the podcast Lupin Lottery. We just released an episode about a temple full of women that age men with aging gas. Oh. <laughs> For, like, no discernible reason. Oh, okay. They just do that. Oh. It was actually one of the more boring episodes I've seen. Okay. But, uh, you know, that's out there on the internet. And uh, until next time, stay spooky. It's not fair! Wait, my eyes aren't that bad. I can still read the large print books.